It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton with you in for Susan Littlefield. Don't worry, Susan will be back here very soon. But time to trade with us here today, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, I always appreciate when we can delve a little deeper and kind of expand our market conversation here on the Rural Radio Network. And we come into today's close, mixed in the grain complex, higher cattle, lower hogs. Uh, Starting here with the grain trade, though, I'm noticing row crops are under some pressure there. Uh, But as well, it looks like maybe old crop outperforming some new crop contracts. Is that some early indication that uh, traders are already starting to square and jockey positions ahead of Friday's WASDE report? I think it could be, Clay, and I think you bring up a good point when it comes to the spreads because we've got that July beast corn spread sitting around a plus 70-cent level. That's a very nice place to be as we get ready to see the May contract go off the board uh, on the same day as the WASDE report on the 12th here on Thursday. And then the July no bean spread is upwards of a buck sixty. And those are really nice numbers to be looking at as the July gets ready to take over as lead month futures. And it's interesting that the May-July corn spread is plus 60, roughly, and the May-July bean spread is plus 30, roughly. And so especially in the corn, um, you know, given the fact that we had those cancellations by China, uh, I think that uh, EPA announcement about E15 in the summertime is helping. And it just kind of suggests to the, to the trade, I think, and, and to me, I guess, that we're still looking at a tighter supply uh, to meet a still very robust demand. And I think that's where um, maybe the trade is trying to play it a little bit safe uh, when it comes to the pre wasdi numbers, because we will get those first 2023, 2024 supply-demand numbers. And back in February, the corn gave the, the USDA gave us a corn production number of 15 billion bushels and soybeans 4.5 billion bushels. So if we see those kind of numbers again on Friday with open planting weather, kind of maybe explains why the trade's doing what it's doing right now. It's interesting how we kind of continue to watch that. And again, a lot of this seems to be on the demand side of the conversation. Uh, but on the supply side of it, wheat is kind of bringing up a whole conversation of its own. Uh, Chicago wheat in particular here in the U.S. is under pressure, that soft uh, red wheat. But you look at Kansas City, hard red winter wheat, you've got Minneapolis futures back in the positive. Is this have correlations to do with what's going on with European wheat prices now kind of being kind of the best in the world and, and overshadowing that Black Sea trade a little bit? Yeah, I think it does, Clay. I mean, it seems like the last six months, as long as that grain deal was extended, the European market would not move higher and instead just continued to sink. And we had a couple of instances where the hard red and soft red here in the Chicago market tried to go higher, but the European markets didn't seem to want to let it do that. And I think this goes back to that same report, the WASDE report. I think we've got maybe two or three stages of a rally. You know, we've talked about how we had an April counter-seasonal low in some of the earlier uh, comments and some of the earlier conversations we've had uh, on KRVN Rural Radio. Now we're getting that counter-seasonal May rally, and I think we're in maybe stage one of that. What would be stage two uh, to, to be able to kind of feed the bull? I think it's that WASDE report. And keep in mind, back in February, USDA gave us a yield of 49.2 bushels all week. That's up 6% from last year, and it's a linear trend line yield. And I think that's what we really want to focus on as we get Thursday's report and for the wheat in particular. And I think that's where maybe we could link up this rally in the hard red spreading to the soft red wheat, especially given the uh, funds are still net short, what, something like 130,000 contracts of futures and options. And they're 
right there at the beginning of 2018 levels as far as net short positions. So I'm, I'm looking for that hard red to give us another leg up if we get a good report like that, and then the soft red to catch. And I think that's the key is we get the regular soft red market in the, in the, in the mix with the rally. Then maybe we can start talking about the corn and beans uh, going along with that ride. So that's kind of how I'm laying out that second stage. And then the third day, the third stage of that potential rally that I'm looking at is maybe the grain deal does physically expire on the 18th and it's done. And then the market has to come to an adjustment and grips with that. All the, all the while, we want to watch that European market. So in saying that too, Mike, as uh, we've got such big things starting to move into place here, and really the, these are you know kind of global phenomenon happening with it, today's USDA crop progress numbers, the numbers aren't out yet as we're talking here, but is that more of a speed bump in this week's trade, or could that have still some fundamental basis as to whether guys are bullish or bearish? Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with how we trade this week, especially with the weak demand numbers. We're almost put on our back heel here at this point. We need some good export sales numbers, especially with the WASDE report looming. But I was struck by the difference between the Newswire's estimates on corn planting. The average trade estimate for uh, the Bloomberg number was 43%. Reuters' average was 48%. The top-end number from Reuters came in at 64% today for planting on corn clay. That would be a whopper of a gain in terms of weekly change. And, you know, even if we came in at 43%, you know, the average from the Bloomberg survey, that would still be about double last year. And with beans, if we came in at 32%, which is the average for today, that would be almost triple last year because we only had about 12% of the beans planted last year at this time. So, Mike, given your wide connections here across the country with a variety of producers, can you tell us from the conversations you've had, are guys getting in the field that aggressively, or or do we need to take this with some grains of salt, especially when you look at the Northern Plains? Yeah, that's a tough one because I think guys are getting more aggressive because it's warming up, especially soil temperatures. And over the weekend, and I think this had to play in today's price action and new crop as well, Today, we did see a market where the, 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 the weather pattern did give us some really needed rains in both the western corn belt and central corn belt. So I'm inclined to think, Clay, we're going after it a lot harder. I'm not sure today's numbers will show that. But I will also say the emergence is a big deal because we are hearing of replant east of the Mississippi. And again, as Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us here this afternoon on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Don't go anywhere. We still have segment two coming up. We're going to talk into the livestock and protein sectors. We'll be getting out some early looks in consumer demand. We'll have more on that here on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Welcome to the Fontenelle Feature. I'm Joe Gangwish, FSR with Fontenelle Hybrids. We're going to visit with Bob Wiseman. He's a Fontenelle Hybrids dealer in the Hershey, Nebraska area. So, Bob, tell us what you enjoy most about working with Fontenelle Hybrids. I would say it's the relationships that we've built with our FSRs and agronomy guys. Just the knowledge that's out there and any questions, people are readily available to answer and and help you out. And being a dealer for Fontenelle, what's been the most rewarding aspect for you? Finding the products that fit a producer's needs and watching them succeed. And what makes Fontenelle stand out among other local seed brands? I would say it's probably our large selection of quality hybrids to fit all maturities and then the abundance of varieties with and without traits to fit everybody's needs. For more about us, you can visit Bob Wiseman there in the Hershey area, any of our Fontenelle dealers across the state of Nebraska, or go to Fontenelle.com. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Again, Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield. As we're talking to the trade today with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, in our first segment, we focus quite a bit in the grain complex and really zeroing in on domestic production, uh, concerns happening with the market, new crop versus old crop, and a pretty detailed conversation. In segment two, as we kick off here, I go over to the livestock side of the trade. Decent day for cattle, some triple-digit gains there in the feeders. Live cattle are in the green. Lean hogs continue to struggle, unfortunately, but it really seems like the livestock were overshadowed by more headline news out from Tyson. that Their first quarterly profit numbers were absolutely dismal. Is there something to read in between the lines here with Tyson when it comes to consumer demand in the meat aisle? I think there could be, Clay. I think it's something we really want to watch because if this is not a one-off issue with one company and we start to see this pattern develop in other earnings reports by other meat producers, uh, it could be that the USDA data that we've seen so far on the early part of the summer grilling season, as that kicks off here in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going into a very weak, and I think that's a very big problem, even on tighter supplies, because we really have supercharged this market up in terms of record high cattle prices. I, I just got done with the long-awaited livestock special report this past weekend, and I did kind of plug in a lower demand base, kind of like 2013 and 2014, um, but what happened in 2013-2014 that helped us extend some of the gains was we, set, we saw a very strong export market come in for a time and offset a very weak domestic demand market. And I think that's especially pertinent for the beef and for the, for the cattle. At the Tyson numbers, the shares were down about 16% uh, when I closed off the books today. The, the Q2 losses as far as the beef sales uh, and their prices – uh, it sounds like their prices for beef were down 5.5%, pork down 10.3% for the second quarter, and that took the beef volume sales, even with that price cut, that beef volume sales number was down 3% for the quarter. That took it down year-to-date uh, 8.3%, and I think that's a really big piece of change and, and something that we really want to keep an eye on. So if we can, ex- or not maybe expect being the right word, but if we can see a downturn in packer demand for cattle, uh, is that kind of the perfect storm, though, really coming up for us? As we know, this cattle herd is shrinking. Uh, if their demand comes down, are packers going to find that there just aren't as many cattle and they're still going to have to bid for them? Yeah, I think that's a two-edged sword because of the drought, Clay. And I think this is where if we see improvement in the drought in the key areas where the calves are, we'll probably see the feeder cattle want to find support. So in that respect, if we continue to see rain in the sand hills of Nebraska, for instance, I think that helps keep the feeders under support or underpinned in price because if we had a drought, we'd probably see another force liquidation into feedlots and really push more supply in earlier than we wanted. And so that then takes care of the back-end market as far as which happens first. So my take right now is that if the drought improves, feeders should be the first to bottom. And depending on what the feeders and the hogs and the equities markets can do, that's really where your fat cattle price is going to be determined, especially as we get into the second and third quarters. When I'm fearful, and I wrote this in the special report, that I'm very fearful that we're going to have a recession in either the U.S. or China, or maybe both by the time we get to the third quarter. And I think that's something cattlemen really want to prepare for. And you briefly touched on the hogs there as well, but kind of going back with that consumer mindset that Tyson kind of let out today, uh, is your thought, is an $80, $83 pork carcass, I mean, is that where the the, consu- con- the 
price-conscious consumer? Is that where they're going to want to go? Yeah, I think it is, especially if USDA is correct on the red meat production stabilizing after Q3. And I think that's highly dependent upon the exports and the imports. And so, therefore, we're going back to our currencies. How much do we get from Brazil? How much does Brazil send to China? How much does Australia send to the rest of Southeast Asia? Those are the three big things that I'll be watching here in the next two quarters because those will probably determine quite a bit of our fat cattle marketing price, our steer prices. Mike, we've got about a minute left here. Let's talk macro markets here for just a brief moment. Uh, Anything, now that we've got the Federal Reserve's latest FOMC meeting behind us, interest rates there, anything to be watching from a macro perspective? You know, I got the sense that the Fed was very much on top of the idea that the banking financial sector and, and what's happening geopolitically could be slowing down our global economy pretty rapidly. And and therefore, they're going to maybe try and take a pause in the month of June and then maybe take another pause in the month of July if they don't see a big rebound in inflation. And so if our consumption fears are warranted, we see the consumer back away from the markets in the food sector. I think that could mean that they may back away in the energy sector as well. And the Fed has less pressure. I think the Fed also wanted to see what would happen with the debt ceiling negotiations as well, Clay. So I'm hoping the dollar does not come in and give us any kind of grief as far as charging up the flagpole and hurting our export base. And that again is Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. If you'd like to talk with Mike more or learn more about Global Commodity Analytics, visit globalcomresearch.com. As well, thank you to Fontenelle Hybrids for their continuing support of the Fontenelle Final Bell. Always catch the podcast on Spotify or at RuralRadioNetwork.com. Do remember, trade futures and options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. 